0: Club members and agencies contribute a considerable amount of pro bono work to help nonprofit organizations throughout our communities. Today, we're talking to two nonprofit organizations that have direct ad club connections. First is the photo op a newly launched visual workspace for photographers and videographers opening next year in Appleton. The initiative is the brainchild of commercial photographer Graham Wyshaka, photographer and darkroom veteran Mark Farrell, and videographer John Adams. Joining us today are Graham Wyshaka and Mark Farrell. Um, Photo Op uh, is a -a one-of-a-kind visual workspace um, that is opening in the spring, I believe, or maybe summer, but we want to know more about it. Graham, can you tell me a little bit about about the idea behind this initiative.
1: PhotoOp was created as a way for photographers and videographers of all experience levels to learn from each other. That's the core of it. Um, Through that, we focus on education, where we want to partner with school districts and youth groups, and we also want to create a photo club type environment uh, where hobbyists and amateurs can get together over the love of the craft. And we are also going to be offering uh, rental space for shooting space and also memberships for dark rooms for people to work with film and print.
0: Oh, you just said dark rooms, Mark, tell me a little bit about this analog way of doing things. There's still a desire to produce um, magic on film. Absolutely. I mean,
2: with digital, you don't get an opportunity to watch an image come up in a tray of developer now, do you? And there's a lot of speak about that and a lot of love about that. And there are a lot of young people that are now shooting film over digital. You see, with digital, you don't get to make any decisions because the camera is basically computerized and making all of those decisions for you. But with film, you get to see what the effects of an f-stop or shutter speed or pushing the sensitivity of the film up and down. You get to see what that does exactly to your images, which gives you another tool in the creative process. So that's what you call the magic or whatever. But people have gotten lazy, and we do live in an instant gratification society right now. So what what better is it to just push a button and see an image, but are you really creating that or is the camera creating it?
0: Mm. Um, all right, let's talk about the space. Um, you purchased, um, an old church in downtown Appleton, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And you are transforming it into this workspace can you talk a little bit about the planning you have for the various spaces in this building?
1: Yeah, so we have the ability to purchase a 100-year-old synagogue, which has been owned by multiple churches after the original synagogue. Um, and we're really happy to add some new life to what will be a 100-year-old building. It'll be 100 year old years old officially next year. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a perfect layout for what we're doing. Uh, we had looked at other buildings previous to this and made some offers and missed, and we are so thankful we did uh, because this space is just perfect and wonderful for it. So we're taking the old chapel area and converting that to a shooting space and making use of the huge arched ceiling ways and clear views and open space in the chapel room. Um, and thankfully up there, all we need to do is really remove old, poor Designing decisions from the 80s and 90s of the drop tile ceiling and the, the blue standard basic tar- carpet that was put in, um, which protected the beautiful hardwood floors. Um, and we're converting that to a white psych wall uh, with a green room and a bathroom and uh, everything you need for, for a photo and video shoot upstairs. Downstairs, uh, we are putting in our dark room, film processing and print room. Uh, we are putting a uh, podcast room in coordination with be Connected. We'll be having a little library gallery space, as well as an open floor plan for a digital workstation.
0: Now, you talked about students, and I know, Mark, you had some past experiences working with students and sort of encouraging those inquiring minds. Yeah. Um, but you also are talking to professionals. So you have a wide range of audiences here and just community hobbyists, I think you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So how did, I mean, you You guys have been in this industry a long time. How did this whole idea come about? How did you see a need? Well, actually, um, this has been an idea
2: for myself that's been decades in developing. Mm.
0: It
2: wasn't until I came out here in, from New York and met John and Graham. That um, it, there was an, a group of people that had the same desires to get this thing done. And um, the children that um, I had initially with the Emerging Arts Group over the last five years, they were a mix of painters and photographers and designers. And yeah, I had the painters. To come in every week and work, but the photographers would just kind of like make appointments, drop by my studio, and we'd kind of ad hoc it, you know, along the way. Uh, but now um, it's it's there's a situation where some of the students I had five years ago are very much involved in the planning that we're doing now.
0: That's great. So why is there this need? I mean. Basically, these days, I think you you kind of talked a little bit about this, Mark. You can pick up a camera, you can make a movie on your iPhone, you know, you can you have the tools are all available, right? So what are you seeing that that people are missing? What they're missing is the
2: ability to do things that are a little bit out of the normal with the film. The ability to make changes that are You know, rules are made sometimes to be broken, okay? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. here, we're going to see exactly what happens when we break a rule with film, okay? And whether we need to develop it a little more, maybe we need to burn and dodge a little bit more. Uh, With film, you're going to be able to get the nuance of, of the craft, which is missing. In in digital photography, I spent the last year standing on riversides photographing birds with other photographers, most of whom didn't know an f-stop from a bus stop, (laughs) but they went out and spent $5,000 on a camera that was going to make all of the decisions for them, and they were quite happy with that. And that's fine. But serious photographers, I think, want a little bit more. They want to push their cameras to the exact limit. I mean everybody buys a phone every 2 years to keep up with technology and let the phone do all of the little nuances that they haven't even thought of yet okay but here we're going to take a, an analog camera old piece old stuff that people no longer feel is useful and we're going to challenge the digital space in terms of the the, the quality of the images that we're going to produce
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Uh the, the 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 deal is now the kids that are shooting film, what do they do with the film once they get the film? They then have to digitize it before they can print it. But here we're going to take the raw film and eliminate that step and go directly to print.
0: And there are a lot of good lessons to be learned from that whole process. So you have that one piece, but Graham, you also are combining that with sort of the, the new technology, right? And the opportunity to collaborate and learn, yes?
1: Yeah, and, and to answer this question in the last, also on the, on the bigger picture of photo op, um, what photo op will provide for people looking to continue learning or start learning photography and video is a space to fail and a space to... Um, find solutions to problems they either didn't know they had yet or they hadn't gotten that far. You know, I can watch all the YouTube videos in the world trying to learn a technique, but until I get out in the field myself and start experimenting with that technique and finding ways it works and doesn't work, I, it's no good to me. You know, I can, I can, I'm a very hands-on learner. I learn from screwing up. I learn from doing stuff that isn't good enough for me yet and telling myself it's terrible that I have to get better. And what better way to reinforce that than have some people around you that are on the same path, whether they're further along the path or, or even uh, at the beginning of that path, it always helps. I, I personally find myself learning the most when I am having meetings with beginning photographers that are asking me these basic questions because myself, I'm able to hash open things I've eternalized and I do instinctively with my gut. I don't think about it. Until I talk with a photographer and says, hey, how do you do that photo? And I start explaining the process to him and talking it through. And I, I go, oh, that's something I didn't think about. And it might even advance it for me because I can go, oh, I've been doing this technique without thinking about it. But it, it, I can do this other thing on top of it, which would advance it even further. Mm-hmm. So I learn from novices all the time. And I also learn from people more experienced than me.
0: Mm-hmm. So you have, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Sorry.
2: That's that's an important piece there, the fact that in a dark room when you're working, you're working around other people, seeing what other people are doing, you're going to get ideas from these people, you're going to be inspired by these people, and it, it's it's kind of the catalyst to 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 to. Hitting an afterburner on your on your, your your learning, because it's going to inspire you to do things that you wouldn't do, and it's going to build relationships that will last a lifetime and continue to grow opportunities.
0: Mm-hmm. So you also talked a little bit about you know budding professionals, right? They may have they may be out there, they may have been trying to pursue this career whether it's photography or videography for the last maybe couple of years, but they're neophytes and they don't always have all the resources available to them, right? So talk to me about the space and what that offers them if they're starting out making a business or trying to make a living or a livelihood from this.
1: Um, Something I see happen well too often, and even possibly with myself long ago, is that people get a camera, kind of know what they're doing with it, and then kind of have a business already, you know? And um, they get all a little bit ahead, ahead of themselves, right? And, and not to discredit their eagerness or their their want and where they're trying to go with it, but um, it, it's always good to have a space to play first. Um, it, it, whether that space is just the, the broad world in general or, or space that you give yourself to learn. But you wanna, um, what PhotoWalk can do for the the people that are new to the industry and new to the craft, is give a space to learn quickly on some things and also realize that they need more time to learn on some other things. Sometimes you can get some photos done real quick and things work well because you happen to be in nice lighting with a nice background, but if you're not good enough, you maybe didn't quite realize that those elements that you had in front of you, and you go over that next shoot, and you don't have that same beautiful lighting, you don't have that same background, and you don't quite know how to adjust and adapt to it. And that's something that you only learn through experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: absolutely. And the other
2: thing is also that, you know, we, when we're working by ourselves, we oftentimes develop a lot of bad habits. And for lack of knowledge, we seem to think sometimes that the processes that we're executing are the correct ones. and in an environment that we're creating, we're going to find out that um, this is the right way to do it, and what you were doing is flawed. And this is why. I mean, I can I can go back to when I was at the Art Institute in San Francisco, and we'd be in the dark room making prints. Somebody would take a break to go outside and have a cigarette, come back in but they left their print in the fixer. And what's the fixer going to do? The fixer is going to bleach your print. Okay? So they overfix the pay- print. The print is now bleached and it looks different and they're applauding themselves for this great new technique that they did. <laughs> okay? So, I mean, knowledge is power, <laughs> you know, and uh, it We're going to be able to basically lead some people into processes and routines that are going to give them the correct results continuously.
0: Uh, anything on, we should probably talk about the videography piece of it. I know John uh, John um, Adams is not part of this interview today, but definitely part of this team, the core team that's putting this yep. initiative in place. So yep. let's talk about those opportunities for those that are uh, making movies or, you know, with the, you know, video.
1: Yeah. So the videography opportunities and the phot- photography opportunities will have a lot of overlap. Um, A lot of those opportunities will exist uh, through school districts as well, Uh, but also when we offer workshops uh, through either local or regional professionals coming in um, and presenting uh, on a expertise that they're the best at. And um, we will also have, you know, space for rent, you know, white sweep space or environmental space for people to come in and do interviews uh, type setups or whatever other work is needed to be done.
0: Okay. Can we talk about your fundraising? You've already purchased the building um, and now you're in the process of um, refurbishing the space. Definitely you probably need um, not only help with constructing that space and building it out, but populating it with equipment and technology and uh, probably supplies, right, Mark, uh, for your dark room, etc.
1: So it's been you're amazing on. the amount of stuff that's come in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you've had you've had some success so far, just kicking this off. I mean, this is this is fairly new,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and you're in the process now of where are you in your building in in uh, re- redesigning that space and breaking down walls, like you said, or ceilings coming down.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, we're still putting it together. And, and you know, I'm modeling the dark rooms after labs that I worked in in New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles back in the day when film was king, you know. And um, a lot of the equipment that has been donated to us thus far uh, has been surprisingly in good shape. Uh, and most of it, is working, and the stuff that isn't working, we're going to hold over for parts, you know? Um, But, uh, yeah, we have been getting a lot of darkroom equipment and things of that nature, but I also need, and we need right now, uh, a lot of current electronic equipment, because, as we said, we are going to have a digital space for people to come in and Actually, print the files that they're making on the digital cameras. So uh, you know, we're kind of looking for a 44-inch printer right now, uh, and maybe a a flatbed scanner. You know that we can utilize to scan art and things of that nature. Uh, And I will be reaching out to places like Canon and Epson, and you know, to see if they might assist us in acquiring some of that equipment. Hmm.
0: But also cash donations, yes?
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Uh, so right now, it's nearing the end of December, we're, we're, we are working with Vision Architecture. They donated a full suite of services to us because they believed in our mission and vision. Um, so they are working with the floor plans right now. Uh, we hope to start looking for construction bids by mid-January, um, and after that, we'll have budgets set for our capital fundraising campaign to do the rework. Um, that's when everything will really start to get serious on, on getting dusty and and opening up the walls that we need to open up and, and finish everything off. Um, thankfully, we are, this building, while it's 100 years old, it's been really well loved. Uh, we don't have a lot of annoying hurdles to clear to get the building up and running. Uh, it's been really well taken care of and we really just need to customize it for our use.
0: Is there anything like this program anywhere else in the US that you know of?
1: There are some, uh, sorry, Mark, you wanna take it?
0: Yeah, there
2: there are some places that um, are offering darkroom services for people. Like I know of a place in New York in Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn, uh, the uh, what is it? Um, it's a community darkroom there that's doing very well. Um, there's a place down in Chicago that doesn't have the film component that we have that has the digital com- component, and uh, that's Latitude down in Chicago. Um, but there are very few places that are basically set up the way we've just explained.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't found any in the country that offer the array of services and um, facilities that we are going to be offering. Um, The one that I found the most inspirational that I found is in New York City called NYC Salk, but they focus more on -on one-on-one mentoring with high school students that are underserved to help them find a career in in photography um but that's much more of a i don't want to say boutique but boutique one-on-one mm-hmm. type program where they take five to six students and and work with them directly rather than being open to the public and working with the school districts themselves
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so they've got a really unique program which i'm really a big fan of but but yeah, we're we're a unicorn. I kind of think I don't. Yeah. I've not been able to find anything like us. Yes, right,
0: it's a different kind of unique for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So, if someone wanted to find out more about you, they would visit thephotoop.org. You are um, registering to be a certified nonprofit, but you are a nonprofit organization. So, if anyone wants to donate, whether it's um, in-kind donations. Uh, services it sounds like maybe, and of course, um, uh, cash contributions. They can donate through your website, or are there other ways to to reach out?
1: The photoop.org is definitely the place to get all of the information. There are links right on the website for donate. I'll kick you over to our PayPal. Uh, please click off of the paid for services to get more money to our pocket. Uh, there is also a way to reach out via email or a contact form if you have any darkroom materials or any digital photography, videography equipment you want to give, or if you're experienced or not experienced and want to give your time, we'll we'll happily take it as well.
0: Thank you, Graham, and thank you, Mark. Um, I think we're all looking forward to the value that this organization, organization will bring to the Fox Valley and to those who are um, on both sides of the camera. Um, thanks for being with us today. Well,
1: thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to see where this thing goes. Absolutely.
0: The Canary Fund is a nonprofit organization launched in 2019. The group raises money throughout the year, then gives it away to visionaries, activists, and change makers across 12. Wisconsin counties. Canary Fund president Pete Angelello is with us today. All right, Pete, tell me about um, the Canary Fund. What is the group's mission?
3: Um, the Canary Fund's um, mission is to help support uh, visionaries, dreamers, change makers in Northeast Wisconsin. So we, we support um, individuals mainly, people that see an unmet need in their community, and uh, try to come up with a creative or innovative solution uh, for it. Um, And we provide micro grants of between $1,500 and up to $5,000 to help people kind of jumpstart their projects, whatever those projects happen to be.
0: Great, give me some examples of, of some of those projects and initiatives that you've supported.
3: Sure, well, we've only been in existence since 2019 and we've supported about 30 uh, different individuals in their projects so far. They run the gamut between, uh, from teachers to students to um, community um, volunteers. Uh, some of them include, um, I'm trying to think of some teachers, first of all, um, particular ones that I'm fond of, uh, two uh, women who had been uh, teaching art classes to, to for uh, clients with dementia through Curative Workshop. And they had always been scrounging for art supply donations or bringing things from home. And uh, we really liked what they did for the community. So we um, sponsored the, their, their project with all kinds of art supplies that they used. Um, we've supported uh, uh, high school students. So, for instance, a young woman from um, De Pere, Wisconsin, she... Uh, wanted to do a project that would um, uh, assist uh, pe- individuals experiencing homelessness, and she spoke with the um, director of St. John's homeless shelter, and they and she basically came up with a project called St. Um, long Johns for St. Johns, and basically collected I don't know like 5,000 pairs of long underwear um, last uh, winter. And then other community volunteers, we've had uh, someone from Appleton that has uh, done support circles for individuals that have recently been released from prison. Um, we've supported a, a couple from Oshkosh who had a, uh, who had lost their their um, son on, in a very quick illness, and they started, their uh, son was a sailor, and they started uh, uh, through their program called International um, Sailing, Um, uh, program, they support uh, young people who want to learn how to sail. And it basically gets them out on the water, helps them connect to the environment, to the water resources, and um, develops their their self-esteem. So lots of different people and lots of different walks of life. So it's been very encouraging.
0: So there there's two takeaways here for our audience, I think I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them is Regular Joes and Jills, right? These Lots are just average people who see a need and say, "Hey, I'm going to do something about that." These are not big, huge initiatives, right?
3: Exactly. Yeah, some of them, you know, might uh, morph into it the, their own nonprofit organization at some point. Sometimes it's just a short-term project that that meets a need. Um, when we were trying to, uh, when we are thinking about some kind of a fund to um, honor the memory of, of my husband, Jim Rivet, um, we came up, we were thinking about all different kinds of issues that he was concerned about, whether it be homelessness or um, LGBTQ um, uh, rights to arts and culture. And then we decided, you know what, we need to support and try to find more Jim Rivets in our communities, people who who are basically visionaries who see a need and and, um, start to try to make a change.
0: And that's what I want to mention. A lot of our audience, um, particularly those who are involved in AdFed and have been for a long time, may or may not know the origin story of the Canary Fund, why it was started. So why don't you talk more? um, Jim Rivet is at the heart and core of that. Why don't you talk more about that for us?
3: Okay, sure. Well, um, it uh, my husband Jim passed away in um, August of 2018, um, and uh, a group of us got together and we're, we were trying to think, including yourself, Carol, <laughs> a group of friends of Jim's, trying to think about what we could do to honor his life. And um, one of the eulogies at his funeral um, a good friend of ours um, compared Jim to the canary in the coal mine. So someone someone that really could sense their environment and um, never turned away from someone that was in need and turned toward them and tried to listen to and understand their story and then try to help them out in whatever way they can. So um, that's where the name came from. Um, Jim is a canary. So the Canary Fund came from that. And um, interestingly enough, our our kickoff event was a concert in July of 2019. And right before the concert, one of Jim's uh, friends um, handed me a note and he said, you might want to read this before the concert. And when I did, the note said that one of his last um, conversations he had with Jim was Jim said, you know what, if I could do anything I would just quit my job, and I would just help people who want to start nonprofits and do good work. And here we were doing that. It was almost like he was speaking to us from, you know, the the other realm. And um, so it's pretty pretty cool that we were on track with something that would have been um, in his heart too.
0: For sure, a good fit. You have the the Canary Fund has two cycles. Uh, for grant applications, and, a, and we're in one now, correct?
3: Right, yep. We do one in um August and we do one in January. Um, and January because uh, uh, Martin Luther King day, Jr. Day was um uh, really important to Jim, and through his former business archetype, they did a lot of community activities and events tied in with that day. And then also, August is his birthday, so we thought we would. Um, um have the the grant applications and recipients announced during that time so it's a very uh, easy process very easy application um people who are interested can go, can go to our website at www.thecanaryfund.org and click on granting and that connects them to actually our community partner which is um, the pollination project which is based in berkeley california when we first got started We needed um, someone to funnel donations through, and a friend of mine told me about the Pollination Project, which basically does what the Canary Fund does. They make small investments of $1,000 a day, 365 days a year in individuals, but their emphasis is the entire world, so they're international. And we said, well, we want to do exactly what you're doing, but we want to focus on northeast Wisconsin. So they really liked that that we, uh, our focus, and they it also helped them to kind of reach out to uh, people in areas that they hadn't really reached before. And so we have worked under their fiscal, um, under their sponsorship for the past couple of years, but now we just received our own 501c3 nonprofit um, status so we can, do everything on our own starting this next, uh, not this particular cycle, but the cycle after.
0: But if there's someone out there who's listening, if there's someone out there who's listening, who has maybe started some sort of initiative to help and fulfill a need, and they're looking to perhaps become a grantee. They have until December thirty first to catch this cycle and enter. And we always say, when in doubt, fill it out. Right? If you don't know, if it, it's not a it's not an intimidating process.
3: No, there's a few screener questions, and then um, and after that, I I believe it's like a four or five page you know application, and um, the when the recipients will be announced uh, the letter... Part of January. Great.
0: And so let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about donating. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about uh, this. let that. <laughs> um, individuals can also visit the canaryfund.org's website to make donations and contributions at any time. Um, but you guys also do several fundraisers throughout the year. Um, tell me about some of those.
3: Okay. <laughs> I will. Although you you are the main coordinator, so <laughs> anyway, we had uh, two main fundraisers this year. We had a, uh, a virtual lip sync contest uh, due to COVID. We we wanted to do something live, but we did a virtual one, and we brought in about I don't know close to ten different um, videos that were um, chosen to represent. We had people from all, of, all over the country that that had submitted. Um, uh, a video, and we raised about sixteen thousand dollars in that fundraiser. And then, most recently, um, we did the Mary Thriftmas online auction, and we had about a hundred different items that were donated by by friends and family, and um, that raised about uh, thirty six hundred. And then we also started an annual. Appeal, which to date has raised about um, twenty thousand. So we're we're really excited. The momentum starting to happen um, with the donations. People see that you know we we are meeting the needs of people like right away. Um, we uh, someone that's new to our uh, board said that you guys are way ahead of the curve. Um, people are really wanting to see, you know, um, you want to reach the people who are right in the trenches, right in the front lines and see the needs and you give money, you know, right away um, to them to really get these projects started. And, and um, hopefully we, we meet the immediate needs of, of different uh, communities that way.
0: Let's talk about that. Northeast Wisconsin, but there's 12 counties
3: Correct. There's 12 counties in Northeast Wisconsin. Um, you know, our our grant applications have kind of shown that over the past couple of years now we're starting to get more um more individuals that are applying. At first, we mostly had nonprofit groups and we're we're fine with supporting them when they have like a innovative project or when they want to reach a new audience. But um we really want to support individuals. So people who just, you know, the like you said, like the Jack and Jill, Jack and Jill's that just uh, want to, you know, see a need and and find a way to meet that need. But um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's pretty broad that the 12 counties just want to impress upon. This is not just Fox Valley. Even exactly. though that, you know, our ad fed is just, you know, we're grounded here, but this goes across 12 counties. So it's a pretty far reach. And I think the challenge is making sure that we get you know, um folks from those areas to apply for grants and to also participate in donating.
3: right. so we 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 um serve as far north as like you know Menominee County, as far um, west as like Oghemi, as far as south as um, uh, Kewanee, Mant- uh, Sheboygan county. so this this whole you know area. And um, it's been interesting to see how that's starting to mushroom now and starting to grow and as people are hearing more about us and what our mission is.
0: So started in 2019. um, Here we are walking into 2022. How much money has the Canary Fund given away in those couple of years?
3: um well i think i mentioned before that we supported about 30 um, individuals and nonprofits and their projects and about uh, i think we distributed over $50,000 um, so far so yeah i mean if you think about that in small increments of up uh, less than 5000 then we're we're reaching quite a, a few people and and um you know and, and and lots of times those small micro grants just gives people the the validation that they that they need um that 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 shows that hey yes you know take it away you know you see something that's important go and do it well and and again our um the different projects that we support run a wide gamut from you know basic needs to to um uh lgbtq communities immigrant communities we've done projects supporting um health and wellness including um trauma health, depression, yeah yep mental health things um economic empowerment, animal rights, um, human rights, um, human services. So yeah, we're, 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 we basically, anything that helps make our communities more, um, sustainable, just, and compassionate. So we're, you know, we're pretty broad with what that actually looks like. Mm-hmm.
0: And if there's anyone out there listening, um, I know the Canary Fund also encourages, uh, just like we give away micro grants and their grassroots programs, we encourage um, the board and the Canary Fund encourages DIY fundraising. So if you've got an idea on how to raise money, you can go out and do, you know, on behalf of the Canary Fund, um, help with Seeds for Deeds.
3: Sure. Yep. We've had a couple individuals. We had one Woman, that this the summer she wanted to make jam. She loved making jam, so she just made a bunch of strawberry jam and sold it, and gave us the, proce- the proceeds, which was like eight hundred dollars. And uh, someone else was doing uh, uh, hot cocoa bombs and did that for us. I'm trying to remember what other things, but you know, that's another thing that we're, we're promoting as well. You know, we're we're trying to give money directly to people who who um, are right there on the front lines? So, you know, if people donate to us, they can um, be assured that their money is going directly to those individuals.
0: Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know about the Canary Fund, Pete? Uh, I don't
3: think so. I I think you covered pretty (laughs) much it all.
0: (laughs) I think we did. Um, Okay, so if anyone is listening and they want to apply for a grant um, or they would like to donate uh, then visit thecanaryfund.org online at the website. Sign up for the newsletter and uh, get involved.
3: That's great. Thank you, Carol. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Pete.
3: <laughs> okay. Have a good holiday.
0: Principal Conversation is created with help from Studio 44 in Green Bay and produced by Adam Arnoldison. Please support your AAF Fox River Ad Club by becoming a member today. You can sign up for membership and events at AAF foxriver.org.